This is Five and Nine, a podcast at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 6. So people with higher levels of stress who have uh, adaptive stress mindsets or, or friendly stress mindsets, they tend to have better health results. And I was like, well, I can do that. It's very easy for me to change my mind if I have the right data. I decided like the, sh- the shock of getting laid off was so intense that I needed something to focus on that I knew I could solve with enough attention. And I had all of this time and like all of these feelings and stuff about being laid off. And so the self-care itself like helped me rebuild a life after layoff. Hi, everyone. This is Anna, producer at Five and Nine. Hi, this is Dorothy Santos, director of Magic at Five and Nine. You've just heard a recording of M. Eifler, an artist and creative technologist. They explore how technology can be used in creative ways to solve interesting problems around disability. M. is a 2022 Disability Futures Fellow with the Ford and Mellon Foundations. And they're a lay leader in a Jewish community in San Francisco, where they work to make rituals accessible to disabled community members. This is our season finale. We're closing out season three, our season of rest, with a conversation with Em about rest from a variety of different perspectives, creative, practical, spiritual. We'll start with a difficult story. Em was recently laid off from their job in technology. This year alone, as of April 2023, companies in the tech industry have ended nearly 200,000 jobs, and even more layoffs are expected this year. It's a time of deep uncertainty, anxiety, and confusion. And M has been chronicling their experience using LinkedIn and art. We'll be talking about M's experience since their job ended, the role of art in their practice, and their work in disability and access. And we'll close with a tarot reading and an offering from M on the theme of rest. This episode lands in the midst of a new moon, a solar eclipse, and the beginning of a Mercury retrograde cycle. Remember to take it easy, be gentle with yourself and with others, and see how it feels to open your heart to the little messages the universe sends you. As we close out the season, we at Five and Nine just want to thank you for your ongoing support of our podcast by listening, leaving reviews, attending our workshops, and becoming paid subscribers. We hope this conversation brings you moments of rest and pause and helps spark some insights and ways to care for yourself and others around you. The music for this episode and for the season is Golden Dreams, performed by Chris Chapman in 1907. It's music recorded at the dawn of modern tarot, with the creation of the Rider Waite Smith deck, one of the most popular and influential tarot decks in the world. Thank you so much for meeting with us today and being in conversation about something I think that's just really difficult for a lot of people. I've actually had the experience of being laid off myself, but there is something so unique and extraordinary about the way that you're actually chronicling that. And I wanted to start off with this question of a diary of being laid off. You've actually used LinkedIn posts to you know, talk about these different routines that you've developed. And some of them include befriending stress, designing new routines. And then you also started swimming, which is a very soothing practice for, for many people, but also for folks who are scared of water, also possibly challenging, but it's such an embodied experience. And let's start with designing routines. What, what kind of prompted you to, to do that at this time? I started designing the routines for two main reasons. One was that while I was working, I definitely 
to be honest, I have struggled for years with simple things like brushing my teeth. My mother still has stories from when I was very young of like, doing hygiene has been difficult for you since you were a baby. <laughs> so hygiene has always been something I really struggled with. It's very common in the autism community to like struggle with cleaning, struggle with healthcare, struggle with brushing teeth. While I was working, I, I just wasn't doing it. Like I, I would brush my teeth like once a week if I was lucky. I really struggled with it. So when I got laid off, I decided my only job is to figure out what the solution to this problem is, which is kind of funny because my entire job before was solving other people's problems, essentially. (laughs) I took a very, like, design and innovation, like, approach to (laughs) developing habits. And the thing that I found that really works for me is stupid, cheesy songs that I make up for myself. So I now have a song that is, it goes, socks, pants, pee, wash, gel, teeth, deodorant, meds, plants, workout, meditate. (laughs) I've done this like every day now like it took me a few experiments to figure out what would work but now I've like I've brushed my teeth twice a day every day for two months and it's for me that's like a miracle I decided like the the shock of getting laid off was so intense that I needed something to focus on that I knew I could solve with enough attention and I had all of this time and like all of these feelings and stuff about being laid off. And so it it both, like, gave me something to focus on and the self-care itself, like, helped me rebuild a life after layoff. Number one, that song is great. Okay, <laughs> can I just tell you that? No, it really is. I mean, I feel, you know, even, even as children, and I think sometimes I was talking to my mom about this actually a few weeks ago where we noticed the children in our family, they are so glued to haptic technologies. And, you know, I told my mom, I said, well, you know, a part of that is also collaborating with your partner or your co-parents, you know, whether even community, whoever's taking care of, you know, your children, because it is a community effort in a lot of ways. And I said, well, I go, mom, you know, when you, when I was growing up, you, you sang me songs, you read me bedtime stories. I, I wonder if that's something that can actually be ritualized, you know, and be commonplace because, I think people forget to have those embodied practices and singing is such an embodied practice. And I think that's one of the things that I wanted to also ask you about regarding befriending stress, which is something you noted in one of your posts. This was pure luck. I was uh, on the library app and I found this book called The Upside of Stress. And I was like, well, I'm in a very stressful situation. I just got laid off like two days ago and I'm a big reader. I read like 200 books a year. It's the way I interact with like knowledge and learning in the world. So I read this book in like three days and I was like, oh, okay. Cause the book really talks about like the mindset of your relationship to stress has more determinants of how your body responds to that stress than the stress itself. So people with higher levels of stress who have uh, adaptive stress mindsets or, or friendly stress mindsets, they tend to have better health results. And I was like, well, I can do that. It's very easy for me to change my mind if I have the right data. So I just, I read this book and literally just decided that now my approach to stress was that it is my friend. And then I decided, well, what does my friend look like? And I decided that it looked like the little mind the gap British subway icon with little legs and little eyeballs and like big eyelashes. 
And every time I started feeling the stress and anxiety, instead of thinking of that feeling as like, oh, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, I started thinking of it as this little character. And it was telling me, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. Like, it's trying to tell me that there is a gap between where I am and where I want to be. Or it's trying to tell me that there's, maybe there's a danger here, or maybe there's something missing. Like, it's trying to tell me something. And if all I hear from it is like, run away, don't feel this, then I'm not actually getting the information that the feeling is trying to give me. And it completely changed my perspective on my own like just sensory experience of emotions like I tend to be a person who has the the stomach clench like sort of low in my abdomen between my ribs and above my pelvis I'll get like a tight maybe hollow sort of ache when things are scary or anxious and so I started like okay there's that feeling again and really trying to anthropomorphize that feeling as this little character and it changed my sort of like everyday approach to that feeling and trying to thank the feeling for the information it was providing me instead of, I don't know, smoke pot so I didn't have to feel it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we talk about magic, we often think of it as this thing up in the sky, something in the spirit in the either. But I've become really interested in, in, in very embodied practices, kinetic practices, tactile practices. And that's something... I really appreciate about your work, Em, is is how you bring that in and how you talk about the body, how you talk about uh, physical work. Even as someone who works a lot with technology, um, I think it's really important that we're thinking about the role of the body, both in kind of our the nervous system, the physical nervous system, and how that stress plays out in our body, but then also how we can work with the body with tactile experiences as part of a, a magical, a spiritual, or simply just a mental health practice. I've seen and read your posts and I'm cheering you on as well because I think one of the things you posted recently was let's celebrate. And also this is just admittedly, I am not the biggest fan of LinkedIn because Same. of what it expects of us. Yeah, because of exactly of what it expects of us. And so you are doing something antithetical to that, which is actually getting me to not just read your post, but be a little bit more serendipitous and say, okay, well, what's on here? You're probably the only artist that I've seen use LinkedIn in that way. And if you could explain the kind of subversion, I don't know if you would want to call it that, but I would, because I think that's epic and badass, but how could you explain the subversion of LinkedIn as a, as a space that's actually also offers a space for experimentation and creativity? That's amazing. I'm so glad they come across that way. I use LinkedIn out of necessity because it's the place where people find work and I need to find work from the tech industry, most likely, unless I get my nonprofit off the ground, which might happen, but that's another story. And so I went on there and I was like, oh, all of this looks the same. There isn't really a lot of variation in the way that people communicate on that platform. And I th was thinking about like, well, that's, that's sometimes that's also true of Instagram. Instagram has an aesthetic that it expects. YouTube a little bit less. There's more variation. But platforms tend to have aesthetic preferences. And so I was thinking about, like, if I'm going to do this, and because one of the recommendations I was getting from people was like, well, you have to post a lot so that people, like, you're in the forefront of their mind, that kind of thing. 
And I was like, okay, well, I want to be in the forefront of their mind. I don't want LinkedIn's aesthetic to be in the forefront of their mind. So I started playing with different ways of sharing things in a way that would set the expectation that I would expect other people to share that way also in order to change the way that LinkedIn is used. Because a lot of times in tech or maybe other industries where I've mostly worked in tech, people speak about like the whole person coming to work or the job serving the whole person, things like that. And that's a newer thing happening in industries where we don't want to just like your private life stays at home and we don't ever want to talk about it or think about it, which is the old way of thinking. So I was like, okay, but LinkedIn is still stuck in the aesthetic of work as a disintegrated aspect of a living person's experience. And I was like, no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> So I, I've been developing the, the diary of being laid off, which I post like every Friday as a way to sort of share my aesthetic, to change the expectations of what gets shared on LinkedIn, and to encourage people to connect with me who also have those same preferences and values and curiosities. Because a lot of times when people say like, you should network, when I got laid off, I had no idea what that meant at all. <laughs> I was like... I just talk to any random human. Is that what you mean? It does mean talking to a lot of people, but it also means sharing your values and sharing what is, what makes you feel good about the world, how you want to change the world, things like that. Like, and being able to share that in a way that other people can connect to it so that they can come to you and be like, Hey, I saw that thing that you did that made me feel a way I would like to talk to you and network. Like that is what networking is. It's about values and care and compassion and asking the recruiter if they had a stressful day, if you had an interview, like that's important because you're sharing a, a sense of care with a person who doesn't expect that sense of care from people. Like that is sort of what I'm trying to develop in my presence on LinkedIn. One of the things that I'm talking about is this project that you did. It's called Art School from Bed. And you've done these posts on Instagram and I viewed them. I can't wait for the next one already. I love that they are these kind of bursts of both inspiration and tutorials. You know, you're you're very deliberate and intentional saying, you know, how and you know, I think one of the videos I watched, you stated that what does it mean to for my body to respond to the environment as a disabled body? Let's actually cut briefly to some audio from this series. Art is not about raw talent. It's about ingenuity and resilience. And you know who's amazing at those skills? Disabled folks. It's art school from bed. We turn impairment into innovation because the real magic in art is not any specific technique or tutorial, but in the experience of trying, failing, and trying again. Because with every try, we undo the mindsets that limit us. The mindsets that tell us that we're too much or not enough, that we're needy and lazy and broken. So embrace every messy transformation and keep trying again. There was a part of me that thought, my goodness, I, I wish people actually did that more, you know, responded to the environment based on what parts of their body are telling them, you know, this information, this data that you're talking about earlier. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about what was the first kind of instance for you that you thought, I need to share this, and I'm going to create a whole different type of art school. Art School from Bed started 
just sort of as an idea on paper, because in 2022, the summer of last year, I won the Disability Futures Fellowship from the Ford and Mellon Foundations. It was the first time in my, I don't know, 15 year long artistic career that I realized like, oh, other people care about this. (laughs) Because for years I had been making work that was very much about like my disabled body, how things can be prosthetics to me, how I make art. I make very like rules-based art that like sort of serves my executive functioning needs. And I realized when I got that award that if we were serious about not only disabled artists, but every kind of body having access to self-expression, then we had to change the way we thought about teaching art, both in terms of the context in which it's taught and also the techniques that are taught themselves. When I went to grad school, uh, I went to the California College of Art for my MFA. It was physically accessible. There were wheelchair ramps. The experience wasn't complete in accessibility to a building, but for my body, accessibility actually means like a lot of other stuff. Like I had to put a bed in my studio at art school. (laughs) And it didn't feel like a place that cared about the fact that a, the work came from that like aspect of my life. So now I feel like I have a lot more power to use what I've learned from years of experimentation and develop practices or at least show how I've developed practices for myself so that other people can develop them also. And I focused mainly on or at least Art School from Bed currently focuses mainly on chronically ill, depressed, neurodivergent, people with other mental health disorders, people who spend a lot of time in bed or on the couch, who don't have access to physical space in the way that others do, or they don't have access to demonstrations of creativity from that physical embodiment of lying down that, you know, a lot of other people do. So I've been developing these videos on how to do that. And they're definitely inspired partially by Art21, who I am, my entire art practice was originally inspired by years and years ago. And I realized that watching videos of Art21 while I was sick, like while I was in the hospital, sparked an entire change in my life, but that we hadn't made taken the next step to say like, oh, we're doing this intentionally for people who need this as an accessibility device. And that might mean that you are a parent. That might mean that you are low energy. That might mean you have long COVID. That might mean there's a lot of ways that people need access to creativity and self-expression that aren't physical disability. And that comes back to like my core value. My core value is what do you need and how can we serve that need? For me, for literally everybody, I want to know what your needs are and how we can serve them because I feel like that is the society that I would like built where that value is how we make all of our decisions. And so that's sort of where Art School from Bed is coming from. And it has, you know, it relates to my other art projects where I'm building prosthetics for myself or I'm doing installation work and things like that. But it's trying to demonstrate that for other people. And then another video that you had, which I found really deeply resonated from with me. I don't suffer from them anymore, but something that I learned about your practice is that, you know, you suffer from migraines. 
And you've shared that with the community. And I used to suffer from them, but I would have never thought there was one video where sometimes you, you express that, that this happens, you know, the body does what it does. And you said, well, let me take my non-dominant hand because of sometimes uh, a condition that you have actually doesn't allow you to, you know, to make with your with your right hand. It really struck me because it made me feel that there have been times in my life where what am I going to do? I can't I can't do what I want to do because this this part of my body is in great pain. And what I found so inspiring about that particular, you know, art school from bed video was Okay, M just gave me a whole ass idea to do something even when I feel like my my body is not it doesn't feel integrated so to speak like what you said like let's what do I need? Well, let me let's do something that makes it so, you know, and to experiment. I'm curious like when we think about rest as a barometer and thinking about how much we need of it for certain types of activities we want to do, I'm curious you know, through what you've discovered in your own practice, how do you, or how might you suggest to folks listening how to start recalibrating those levels in their own lives and maybe using rest as a barometer as opposed to output? Oh, I've never thought of it that way. I certainly track my rest. I do data to it. I know that I need to sleep at least nine hours a night. And I know that when I switch to my most recent migraine medication, that I went from 192 migraines a year to 114, which is a huge difference for me. But I realized in that shift that I actually still needed the same amount of rest from the 192 migraines. Rest as a barometer is an interesting way to phrase like tracking and experimenting with the amount of rest you need. Like when I got laid off, I kind of got lazy about bedtime so I was like, I don't got to get up in the morning. I'll do whatever I want. And then slowly over over time, my, my brain started getting a little raisiny, I guess I would say. And I was like, oh, oh, we got to be more strict about this. And and sort of ramping back up the amount of sleep I'm getting or making the rest period feel not productive, but enriching. So oftentimes when I have a migraine, I will draw, which most, some people might consider being productive. But to me, it feels like to let my body fully rest, I, I really need something to like give it as a toy, as something to play with. And so for me, rest really has to involve like, I can't just like lay down and do nothing. My brain's not into that. So giving myself like listening to something, drawing something, giving myself like those kinds of outlets have really helped me with my rest. Now I just want like a big rest weight or a, like a, you know, like a scale in an old grocery store that just like fills up with rest throughout the day. So I can be like, yes, this is the correct amount of rest that I got. <laughs> We wanted to close season three, our season of rest, with an exciting opportunity to do a live tower reading for M. Eiffler in M. Studio. M's also been designing a deck, the Mixed Signals deck, which we're going to learn about. And so it's a unique opportunity for us to close out the season with a conversation that's in person, 
using a deck that M has designed and to really have a conversation about possible paths forward. As you listen to the conversation, we invite you to think about your own path forward, your own periods of rest, your own periods of reflection. Think back to what those have looked like for you and how you've grown, how you've changed coming out of those periods. So much of human life, like the earth, has cycles and seasons, and out of seasons of rest often come opportunities for creative exploration. They've been designing the Mixed Signals deck. Em, you want to talk a little bit about the, the Mixed Signals deck? Uh, Mixed Signals has a very physical material and digital material theme. It is a mix of drawing on paper, crayons, and pencil, and colored pencil, and pastels, and a mix of purely digital materials, Photoshop, color change, incorporating like photographs of my hands and using the outlines of my hands to incorporate into the images. Yeah, I think it reflects a lived experience of a life that is both entirely visceral and extremely online. Mm. And also an art practice that takes seriously both of those mm. modes of experience. And then also trying to create a deck that didn't have one thematic colorway or texture or image approach in every single card. The major arcana has sort of one aesthetic, and then each of the court cards have one aesthetic, and then each of the number sets, the sets of 10, have one aesthetic. So this is the five and nine first, both because you are our first tarot designer on the, on the show, but also we have the opportunity to record in person, which is exciting. So I guess, you know, given the themes of the episode, we talked about being laid off, about rest, and kind of continuing in those themes. I'm curious if there's something you'd like to have a reading for, something you'd like to check in on. Yeah, I think I'm moving out of, much like the deck has many points of view, I'm moving out of a work space where I was in one place for many years. I was doing sort of one job. I had a very clear focus in my work life. And now I'm exploring more multifaceted approach to work, doing consulting and contracting and working on a nonprofit and building a tarot deck and writing a novel. And so I don't have a specific question about that, but it's definitely like a big transition for me to to move into this new multifaceted era. So advice on that, guidance on things I need to look out for in that new, this new world that I'm learning. So what we have in front of us is the Mixed Signals deck designed by M. Eiffler, and we'll include some of the images actually in the newsletter. And so M, I'm actually going to go ahead and fan this out, and we're going to do the typical five and nine spread. And that's three cards. I'll invite you to draw three cards. First card is the seed. The seed is the card that represents what's been planted in this period of transition for you. The next card is the root. It's what's growing, what's growing out of the seed, what's taking root. And the third card is the garden. What are the conditions? What is the space? What is the environment that's going to allow the root and the seed to really flourish? So we have three cards and what we've done, we've done is we laid them out vertically. So the seed is at the bottom. The root is in the middle and the garden's at the top. Okay. So this is the seed, which is the High Priestess card. The High Priestess card is a graphite drawing on a white background of a quite abstract face surrounded by a crown of hash marks. 
The mouth is open. The tongue is black and white. The nose is a left-pointing triangle dashed across the face. And in front of the drawing, there is a black silhouette of a hand in an OK symbol circling the cheek with the fingers brushing over the eyebrows. The high priestess often comes up when we think about internal work. And the high priestess represents an internalizing, a stepping back, a looking within. So often when we're occupied by a major job, opportunities arise when we're laid off to look at all the other parts of our life, our career, that maybe we're bubbling up, maybe we're just parts and pieces that we were ignoring and are now coming together. And so the high priestess suggests, in the seed position suggests that there's this moment now of looking within. There's this moment now of reflecting on these different aspects of your life. The high priestess is an invitation to look within, to go deep into that space of what really ignites your heart and your spirit as you think about structuring and putting together this new life that, that you're beginning to explore. Let's take a look at the root card. The root is the Three of Wands, which is a three-branched tree growing on a red and purple background. The limbs are scattered with a confetti of warm brown leaves and red berries. And the bark of the tree is a collection of sort of swooping gathering lines. So this is so interesting from the shadow of the OK sign. Moving into this period of growth, of planting, of budding. The Three of Wands, as you've illustrated, it contains a lot of color. It contains this lively, vibrant tree. When we think about the Wands energy, it represents fire, creativity. Represents finding that spark, that chi in your life. And so out of the seed of the High Priestess, out of the seed of those moments of depth of exploration within, is a moving outward into the fire of creative energy, of cultivating these different aspects of your life that we talked about that might have been neglected or might have been ignored while you were busy. And the Three of Wands is also an invitation, I think, with these trees, is that to grow the different limbs of your practice. And so it's this dialogue here that I find really interesting and generative, to allow the Three of Wands to grow the seed that you really need to cultivate right now, that you need to sit with, is that internal looking. Now we'll look at the garden. The Maker of Stones. Hmm. The Maker of Stones is a big night sky, black full of white twinkling stars in the background. And in the foreground, there is a rock sort of floating in that space, maybe an asteroid. And on top of it is a cairn or a, a stack of balanced stones going upward into the center of the image. And the top stone is being sort of delicately placed by an icon of a robotic arm that's reaching out from the side of the card to place the final stone, all in warm purples and greens. It's a gorgeous card. I think the stones here um, in your deck are kind of the equivalent of the coins or pentacles of other decks. Mm -hmm. And the maker, can you remind me, is the equivalent of the, is it the queen? Mm -hmm. Kind of the one who's working internally mm -hmm. and building. And I love the phrasing of maker of stones. It's much more active. Well, one, it's also less gendered. Mm -hmm. less royal, and therefore less hierarchical. And there's the image that you've drawn is it's someone who's really working with the earth. 
And so when I see the maker of stones in this position of the garden, in the garden position in the spread, it's what you need to cultivate, right? It's what, what are the conditions that are going to allow this three of wands to really flourish. And the maker of stones is a, a very direct phrasing and also image of getting to work, doing the thing, mastering the thing, building. In your illustration, this is a robotic hand, placing that final stone in outer space. And so it's this mixture of the really earthen work, the work of the hard labor that is necessary for any kind of creative practice, while also being tied to the mystery, the mystical, looking up towards the stars. And so it's that three of wands as it grows, is that as you can bring together the work you're doing and tying that with your spiritual practice, the things that bring you wonder, your creativity, that's what's going to allow the flourishing, the flourishing of this new phase of creativity, of integration, of exploration. And so it's a beautiful card to represent the garden because it contains, in so many ways, both the black and white that you highlighted in the High Priestess card and the color of the Three of Wands. It's emerging of that spiritual work with the creative work and then doing the work. I like that the stones are being balanced because a lot of what I've been thinking about is like how to how to balance a lot of things I want to do basically and how to how to not just make a particular project but how to make a new creative practice that is not entirely internally focused but is about sort of like building an organization and building beyond my self that's right and that's the invitation here is an integration bringing together while allowing these aspects of your practice to be separate they all reflect a whole who's a mifler from this moment of loss of confusion you've been generating an amazing kind of dialogue on linkedin on instagram around art school from bed around your practice of sharing kind of these public diaries and reflections on what you've been learning through the experience of being laid off you're creating that work now. You're developing that work. It can be a scary time, but at the same time, there's really a strong invitation to build something new from this place of exploration and internal reflection that you're finding yourself in. You don't gotta be just one thing, people. You can be all the things. All the things. All the things. Five and Nine is an independent podcast and newsletter at the crossroads of magic work and economic justice. This show is produced by me, Dorothy Santos, Xiaowei Wang, and Anna Anshaomina. While this podcast is always free, if you enjoyed it, we invite you to buy us a virtual cup of coffee. You can subscribe on Substack for just $6 a month. Your generous support helps cover our production costs and honoraria for our guest speakers. Paying subscribers get access to additional content, like our taroscopes we produce with Ignota Books, standalone meditations, and discounts on workshops and classes, including the ones we run with the shipment agency. We'll be back in a couple months with season four. It will be our first season to be recorded almost entirely live and in person in a series of special locations around the world. In the meantime, 
Be sure to subscribe to us at thisis5and9.com, where we'll be continuing some of our ongoing programming, such as our tarot scopes and our popular Scrolls and Streams series, where we provide links to interesting readings and articles about the future of work and magic. You can also tune in on Apple, Spotify, and Google, and wherever you listen to this podcast. However you subscribe, you'll be the first to learn about the new season when it's released. Thanks for listening, and we wish you comfort and ease in these difficult times. Remember to breathe deeply, drink plenty of water, and take a moment of rest wherever and whenever you can. And Meifler has very generously made space for an offering that they'd like to close on today with five and nine. The most important holiday in Jewish ritual life is Shabbat. It happens every week and it starts at sundown on Friday and it ends at sundown on Saturday. This is the day of rest and I wanted to offer the opening prayer for the day of rest here. In Jewish tradition, Shabbat, the day of rest, is thought of as a beautiful bride all dressed up in their finery and sort of coming in to bless the world with a time of silence. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Ha'alom Asher kishanu bo mitzvotav, vitzivanu, lechad ligner, lechad ligner, shal shabbat.